Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. Good morning, City Church. <laughs> My name is Erin Seagears, and I am so excited to be here with you guys this morning. I was a member here at City Church for the majority of my adult life from 17 up until like COVID. And so really City Church is such a special place to me and coming back here feels like coming home and being with my family. So I'm so honored that you guys are having me this morning to share with you guys. And I, I love City Church and I have to say, I also love your pastor and your pastors. And because I happen to be here on you know October 30th, the last, almost the last day of October, Pastor Appreciation Month, I do just have to say and encourage you guys to appreciate your pastors, love them, encourage them, and ultimately pray for them. I little secret about me, I guess I'll say, is I am a pastor's daughter, and so I know how difficult it is um, to do ministry full-time and to be a pastor, and it's really important um, that the church prays for our pastors, and so I'm starting off by being bossy and giving you an order, um, <laughs> but pray for your pastors. They need it, and they so appreciate it. Um, all right, so let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day, God, for this beautiful day that you have made. And Lord, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to come together as a family of Christ, to worship you, Lord, to study your word. God, may you open up our eyes to behold the wondrous things from your law, and may we grow in a deeper understanding of your kingdom. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, I am going to be talking about uh, one of the trials of Jesus. Now, Jesus had a few different trials leading up to his crucifixion, both religious and kind of Roman trials. And I think probably one of the most known ones is Jesus before Pilate, but, and that's in Mark 15. Today, actually, I want to um, talk about Jesus before the Sanhedrin in Mark 14. So we'll be reading in Mark 14, starting in verse 53, if you want to get out your Bibles and read along with me. Says they took Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests. The elders and the teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they could not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days will build another not made with hands. Yet even then, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah? the son of the blessed one. I am, said Jesus, and you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. 
they blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said, prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. So it's a doozy, I know. Um, I also know that you guys this year have been going through a really wonderful series on the kingdom of God, and I think that is fantastic. That's one of my favorite series I've heard any church do. Really great, and I don't know about you, but when I think of the phrase kingdom of God, kind of the image that comes to my mind is similar to like um, the Maverick City album cover of their album Kingdom, and it has the blue sky and like the fluffy clouds and the people below like worshiping God so joyfully, and I'm like, yes, that's what I'm talking about, the kingdom of God, so glorious, and it is, But to be honest with you, on this side of glory, the kingdom of God can really feel a lot more like that passage that we just read. Because here is the hard truth. Kingdom living, living a life of love and obedience to God, a life of truly following the way of Jesus, often involves difficulty, loneliness, and persecution. And that is hard. But it is true. Jesus himself says, in this world, you will face troubles. And if you've been following Jesus long enough, you know that to be true from your own experience. I know that to be true from my own experience. One of the reasons why I believe Pastor Pete asked me to um, speak this morning on the trial of Jesus is because I'm a lawyer. So a lot of my job involves trial. I'm in trial a lot. And frankly, a lot of times I feel like my whole job is one big trial. Um, I am a juvenile public defender, so I represent children and delinquency cases in Maryland, where I live there in Baltimore. And I love my job in many ways, but I also find it to be very difficult. Um, However, I'm so honored and privileged that I get to do it because I know it's exactly what God has called me to do. For me, it's not a job. It is a calling. And God gave me that calling um, back in the summer of 2014. At that time, it was my summer between my second and my third year here at UVA. Go Hoos. And um, that summer, I was living with my parents and working as an admin at my... um, at, at the church. And like every week, one of the um, associate pastors would come in and say like, Aaron, you going on this missions trip with me to El Salvador? And I'd always say, no. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I was so, you know, resistive. I kept saying no up until about three days before the trip. And God said, yes, you are, Aaron. And somehow I got a passport and raised all my funds in like 48 hours. And I was on a plane to El Salvador. And uh, yeah, I guess God really did want me there. And I'm so glad he did because it really was a phenomenal week. Um, we did. Uh, we worked with a ministry there called King's Castle. Um, we did a lot of work out just on the streets of El Salvador, especially working with uh, children and youth there. And it was wonderful for many reasons, but one of the biggest takeaways for me was just spending time and working alongside the Salvadorian church there, uh, the El Salvador people um, who worked in that ministry. These people were what I'll call kingdom people, just through and through. They were devoted to God with every ounce of their being in a way that I had truly never seen before that week. They would wake up at like 5 a.m. and go to their 24-7, they call it the prayer palace, and they'd pray for a number of hours to start their day. And then they would go and they would study the word of God for a number of hours at the Bible school. And then they'd spend the rest of their day doing ministry out in the streets of El Salvador. And I don't know if you know much about El Salvador, but 
it can be a tough place to live generally, and it's certainly a tough place to do ministry. Many of their fellow um, co-laborers there with the ministry had actually been martyred doing this work. So it was a hard calling, but still these were some of the most beautiful and joyful people I have ever seen in my life, and I want to look like them. So when I got back from my trip in El Salvador, I was just kind of laying in bed one night, and... I was trying to figure out, you know, I was thinking about the El Salvadoran people and how they lived the life for God. And at the same time, I was in a place in like my college career where I did not know what I was going to do. I came to UVA thinking I was going to be a dentist because my parents said, good money, good hours. Um, and you know, you can make people smile, I guess. I don't know. So that was my idea. Um, I barely past biology though, so that really helped me um, realize that was not for me amongst some other things. So I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. At this time I was like, well, I wanna live for Jesus completely, I know that much. And so that night I asked God, like, Lord, what do you want me to do with my life so that I can live fully devoted to you like those Salvadorian people? And you know, it's just one of those prayers you pray, you don't expect an immediate answer. Um, but right before bed, I said, okay, let me just um, read a psalm before I go to sleep. So I did that thing, you know, we do sometimes, I'm like, okay, psalm's in the middle, so I'll just kinda like open it up and see what I get. Um, and I did that, and on both pages, I did open up to psalms, and um, on both pages there in psalms, there was only one verse that was highlighted. And it was Psalms 82.3 that says, defend the cause of the fatherless, uphold the rights of the poor and the oppressed. And, you know, at that point, I knew again, I wasn't gonna be a dentist, but God had already started priming my heart for this calling. I had a few different experiences um, doing missions trips with Chi Alpha and working with some ministries around Charlottesville, but God was really starting to work on my heart for um, inner city children, children who lived in poor areas. And at the same time, through my studies, I was learning more about the legal system and was thinking, okay, that could be something that I could do. So when God gave me that verse, defend the cause of the fatherless, uphold the rights of the poor and the oppressed, I knew that was it. I knew that's what God was calling me to do. So that is my calling here in God's kingdom, to help bring justice, love, care, and protection to fatherless, poor, and oppressed youth in the criminal system. And with that comes really great joys, really high highs, you know, that hug from that, you know, grateful client, the opportunities I have to pray with and for my clients. And for me, one of the ultimate joys of my job and privileges is to be able to stand in the courtroom and to say, to everyone in that room, the magistrate, the state's attorney, and especially my client, that this kid is so much more than what they are being accused of. They are so much more than the worst mistake that they made, but they are valuable, that they are loved, and that they have a hope and a future. So there's great joys to this calling. On the other side, though, there's truly great difficulties. Um, my job involves daily entering into the trauma that nearly all of my clients have faced. In their young lives, they face so much trauma, and it, it requires me to empathize and listen to that. It also requires me to walk beside them as they walk through what can be a traumatic system of the criminal system, to be a youth um, and have someone who doesn't know them, again, accusing them of things and calling them things, um, facing true prejudice and injustice and lies every day. And so that is difficult and it does take a toll on me as well. And at times it can feel lonely, being, you know, feeling outnumbered and unsupported at times. 
So while there's joy in the calling, there's also definitely a degree of suffering. And when I'm feeling the pain of the trial, something that gives me both perspective and comfort is knowing that my God, my best friend Jesus, can perfectly empathize and understand what that feels like. He himself has experienced the difficulty, loneliness, and injustice that sometimes comes with obedience to the Father. And I believe that this passes the trial of Jesus before the Sanhedrin is a perfect example of that. So I wanna walk through, you, walk through this trial with you kind of um, law school exam ways, um, which is a little triggering because they're horrible. It's like four hour exams that are 100% of your grades, but um, it makes a lot of sense. So basically in law school, your exams, your professor makes a fact pattern, which is like a story that they make up. And then you have to write like 20 pages about all the different legal issues and analyze it. So we'll start with the fact pattern here. Again, Jesus is before the Sanhedrin, which are like the high religious rulers, and they, you could think of it as like the Jewish Supreme Court. And verse 55 says, all the chief priests in the Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death. But they were having trouble because they couldn't find any. There were witnesses against Jesus, but those witnesses' testimony didn't really add up. They didn't line up. And so then they asked Jesus himself, you know, what do you say about all of this? And Jesus replies, well, at first he doesn't reply. But then when they asked him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? Jesus replies, I am. And that was essentially the end of it all. They condemned him to death and then they spat at him. They struck him, mocked him and beat him. And then they sent him off to Pilate to be crucified. So that's the fact pattern. And now let's look at the issues. And I know on his face, you can already tell the supreme injustice and wrongdoing that happened here. Um, but to break it down a little bit more, you know, in the United States, we have the Constitution. And in it, there's a number of amendments. And in the Sixth Amendment, there's a number of rights that the accused have in criminal prosecution. And that includes the right to a speedy and a public trial, to impartial jury, to know exactly what you're actually being charged with, the opportunity to get your own witnesses for your case, and the assistance of counsel. That's what I do as a public defender. Um, there's another of other rights included in this, but basically we have this amendment to make sure that there is a bare minimum standard for a just trial, or what we call due process. In Jesus' trial, there was no due process. There was no justice. The very people who were going to decide Jesus' fate in that trial were the ones who were looking for evidence so that they could put him to death. The judge and the prosecution were one and the same. This is just malicious prosecution at the highest degree. It makes no sense, and it's just blatantly um, wrong. Even then, they couldn't get witnesses who could present sufficient evidence against Jesus. There was lying, we would call that perjury, and inconsistent testimony that was given. Further, all the rights that we would have to protect the accused were completely disregarded. Jesus himself could call no witnesses for his case. He had no counsel, no public defender to advocate for him. He did exercise his right to um, remain silent, um, but that was clearly held against him. And you might be thinking, okay, well, Aaron, you just talked about the U.S. Constitution. Obviously, this was not in America in 2022. Um, but 
truly the abuse of justice was even greater when looking at the times and the standards of uh, Jesus' trial. In addition to just the basic, you know, disregard of due process and what we know just to be basic justice, um, several of the Sanhedrin's own laws were being broken that day for Jesus' trial. Jesus' trial was both in the middle of the night and during the Passover. And that's two, you know, two violations right there. They required themselves that trials were to happen during the day so it could be public and open to scrutiny. And also that no trials could happen during the feast days. And again, this was happened during Passover. Further, the conviction process was illegal. It was supposed to be by individual vote and not just by general acclamation like Jesus' was. And finally, the sentence was legal. The Sanhedrin had no authority to even execute Jesus. So legally, many issues, one of the worst, most unjust trials to ever happen. Every, nearly every law was broken. And it wasn't just, you know, broken by people who didn't care about the law. It was broken by people whose whole lives were the law. They were literally religious about the law. And yet, because of their hatred of Jesus, they decided to throw every one of those laws, every one of those rules out the window. And in addition to having to face, you know, that, great injustice, there was the deep emotional impact of having to be um, maliciously accused like that. And I believe one of probably the hardest things was that Jesus had to endure this, but he also had to do it alone. Again, Jesus had no witnesses for his side of the case. He had no one there to advocate for him. He didn't have a lawyer there present to help him in his case. And further, who was there to even support him during the trial that was held, again, secretly in the middle of the night. And what do we know about the people who would, we thought might have been there? We know that, you know, the people he, he loved and discipled, they weren't there. Judas was the one who betrayed him and led him to that point in the first place. Peter, during this time, was off denying him completely. And we know that there was really no one there, as far as we know, who was there to support him and be there for him as he was going through this horrible trial. And finally, again, the passage ends with Jesus' condemnation to death and then Jesus being beat, spat at, and mocked. So you might wonder, why? Why would the Messiah, the son of the blessed one, consent to such a horrible trial? Because we know he didn't have to go through that. And the answer is he did it in obedience to the Father. He did it out of love. And in doing so, Jesus identified with each and every one of us who has ever been betrayed, mistreated, has experienced suffering and loneliness in response to our own obedience to God. So if you're ever like me and feel at times that while kingdom living is sometimes so wonderful and joyous and glorious, at other times it can feel really hard and even unfair and at times so lonely. My hope for you is that you do find comfort and companionship in our Lord Jesus who can truly meet you there and empathize with you in complete fullness. When I find myself in those dark places, sometimes, you know, I call them the crying on the kitchen floor moments, if you've been there. Uh, if I'm able to just follow the Spirit's prompting to look to Jesus and to look to the cross, it's there where I do find comfort and encouragement 
and I'm reminded that Jesus has been here. He's been on the kitchen floor, and he's there on the kitchen floor there with me even now. And ultimately, in the end, the greatest encouragement is that in the end, there is victory. Before, you know, I mentioned John 16:33. In this world, you will face trouble. But I left out the best part, which is, take heart, I have overcome this world. And he has, amen. We know that this trial of Jesus was just kind of the beginning on the path to the cross. But it's also just the beginning on the path to the resurrection. And we know that life comes at the end. And we go through trials sometimes too, but we know at the end there is resurrection, there is life, there is victory. So now I do want to give a bit of a feat to your faith, because like I said, I'm a true city church girl. Um, And I believe there's maybe two groups of people here this morning. One, I think there's those of you maybe who need to answer the call, who need to obey. I believe that God has maybe spoken to some people in this room about what he wants you to do. Maybe it's a vocational calling like it was for me. Maybe God is asking you this season to give sacrificially in a way that is new to you. Maybe he is asking you to reconcile a relationship. Is God asking you to help bring shalom in this world in a specific way? And if so, are you answering that call? Are you being obedient? If not, why not? Is it fear? Have you counted the cost? And maybe it seems like a lot. It seems really hard. You might be afraid of how others might respond, of what you might lose in walking in obedience. I'm not sure what it is for you. But if you are in this group today who have heard a call from the Lord, but are choosing or hesitant to receive it, today I want to encourage you to obey, to take courage in knowing that it might be a hard walk, but God is with you every step of the way, and he always will be. That's a promise. The second group, I believe, is for those of you who have answered the call, who are being obedient, who are doing exactly what God has called you to, but maybe it's been really difficult. Maybe it's been really hard and really lonely. And sometimes, you know, we are thrust in situations that are hard, but sometimes the hardest part is the heart. Um, Your heart in all of it can feel beat down and weary. I know what that feels like. But more importantly, God knows what that feels like. Jesus knows what that feels like. He has experienced it, and he's with you in that, and he will always be with you in that. And at the end, again, there is victory. And truly, it is a blessing to be able to emphasize with Jesus in that, because we know through our shared sufferings with Jesus is when we become to look more like Jesus and are able to bring heaven down to earth. Now, I just want to end with the Lord's Prayer. Would you guys pray that with me now? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.